welcome once again to the Gentleman's Soapbox, your weekly edition of piss poor journalism and the ramblings of two middle-aged men. So welcome once again. And for this week, our discussion is going to have something to do with something I saw last week. And as I was watching it, I had to start texting Sean because... I knew that no one was going to get it. I knew the backlash that was going to come from it. And I knew that we were going to be where we are, which is the latest uh, Dave Chappelle special on Netflix. The one referred to as the closer, if you haven't had an opportunity to see it yet. And as I was watching it, I, my first thought when I, when I saw it was, okay, Dave's made his money from Netflix. This is his last special, and he's just decided to see how many people he can piss off for his final show. But as time went on, I started to recognize a little bit more of what was going on, and when he closed out the end of it, it was almost sad to me. I I, I almost choked up a bit watching the end of it, knowing that no one was going to get what it was that he was trying to say the idea of uh compassion the idea of looking at what people do versus what they say the concepts of empathy for people who are also going through things Uh, and all all anybody heard was the different sound bites and i'll admit each individual sound bite taking taken in and of itself was cringeworthy offensive. I mean, obviously, I was raised a Jewish guy, and he started talking about space Jews, and I went, ooh. That's going to get you in trouble, Chief. <laughs> but, uh, um, but when you take the whole thing as a whole, if you actually listen to the whole thing, it, it's it really is almost artwork in the way that he put it together to try to make his point that and I even think he knew going in that no one was going to get. Um, so I, I started texting Sean throughout this whole thing, and he started answering back, yeah, no, no one's going to understand. No one's going to get what this guy's trying to do. Uh, and it kind of brought me to a point where, and Sean has heard me talk about this before, that how much people are being judged with what they say, not be by what their intention and or what it was that they were trying to communicate out to the world, but simply the effect that it has on the people who hear it. Uh, and it's being treated uh, almost as though it's violence. And that's kind of got me... I, I don't even know where to say that it's got me. And I'm hoping that as I turn the soapbox over to Sean, that he's going to tell me I'm wrong. He's going to tell me that I'm being a cynical bastard, that I, I that there's hope in the world. So, Sean? Well, I think you're both right and wrong. <laughs> uh, there's, I do think there's there's hope. Uh, I, I was very hopeful when I saw this. Um, I know that there's a thousand. I read an article that there's a thousand Netflix employees threatening to quit over it and everything, and and it's a it's a rallying point to people who take well, the, radical cancel culture very they seriously. Did suspend the trans employee who broke into the boardroom in the midst of a meeting to you know insist that they take it down. They basically looked at her and went, "Yeah, you're suspended," and people are like horrified that they would do this to her. It's kind of like, wait a minute. 
people are trying to do business, they're your employers, and you broke into a meeting to start screaming and yelling, and you're surprised that they took action against you. Yeah, let's let's try and review that just just for a second. And and they they're of course they're right, you know, from a business standpoint, and of course they're the the part of uh, society that is pro cancel culture and and seems to want to watch it all burn uh, seems to point out how it made them feel and that it was wrong and then it's it's a crime to make people feel bad and and in some cases it is now i mean they finally got some of those those laws passed that it's it's illegal to say something so uh which well, is I mean, you you've got places in this country and i, I don't want to say specifically where because i know i'm not going to get the exact location right though i know i'm right that it's you can actually be can sued for uh, misgendering somebody. Yeah. Now, I, I have no problem with the idea that somebody would look at you and go, no, I prefer to be called X, Y, or Z. Uh, but, you know, somebody made a mistake. They were trying to say hello. I, here's where, to me, it, it kind of, it mirrors this, right? Like, when I was, I'm going to use a very old, uh, in this case, and uh, anecdotal exercise to, to kind of illustrate this point, but bear with me for a second. When I was in college, uh, you would be mingling with uh, many people, some of which you knew, most of which you didn't. And you would go up and try and introduce yourself and try and uh, make the best possible connections you could, and every once in a while, I'd, I'd I'd run across a girl who's like, uh, yeah, dude, uh, into chicks. And I'm like, oh, sorry, my bad, didn't know. And she'd be like, that's all good, you know, and you don't be a, a complete douche about it. And she didn't take offense, and you just move on. That was how that interaction, in my opinion, and that's all it is, should have gone, right? I was in good faith trying to approach her. She was like, yeah, not into dudes, man. Oh, okay. My bad. Didn't know. Moving on. Right. Sorry to bother you. That's how many of these transactions should work. Right. These these, uh, you know, I prefer they. Oh, sorry. My bad. Didn't know. You know, it, it can't be a you have to assume that everybody could possibly be transgender or that everybody should possibly be straight or everybody should possibly be anything. You don't know. Everybody looks like everybody else. But but even then, people are getting not just in trouble for, quote unquote, offending somebody. People are actually getting beaten up for not being offended. Yeah. No, it's 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 out of control. It is. That part of it is out of control. Going back to, for example, where we started with with, uh, you know, the Dave Chappelle special, the trans woman he he was that he spent the last portion of the special talking about um everybody is up in arms over the fact that he was supposedly using her now her family has come out and said no this is a true story we every bit appreciated dave and everything he has done for our family and everything he did for her um, we think he's awesome and, you know, people are up in arms that they are not offended. You know, the, the part that 
really gets me is I didn't know if that story was true or if it was just kind of an allegory or, or what, what it was. And as I researched it and as the family came forward and all that, I found out it was true. And I'm like, wow, how masterful was that as far as like he took you on a journey? You didn't know where that was going to end up. No. I And and you look at people who everything he said, even the things that were offensive. and And as I said, there were certain things that were offensive. But when you take it as a whole and you look at what he did, everything he said was said with a purpose. That whole thing was crafted. Specifically so, and specifically targeted at the very people who it enraged. And he's like, you know, and you could see him making it, right? Like, this is going to piss him off. And history's going to prove me right, I think. You know, that's had to be what he was saying. History's going to, I'm going to wind up on the right side of history on this, but years later. And I'm going to have to take it in the teeth until then. But I'm going to come out on top on this because I believe I'm right. That is a large dose of conviction and talent because arguably whether you believe it or, or you're, you're firmly in another court, Dave Chappelle is one of the fine, if not the finest comedians of our time. Uh, actually, he, He's what makes me understand Mel Brooks's joke of calling stand-up comedians stand-up philosophers. Yeah, yeah, and and that the first time I heard Mel Brooks talk about that, and he used George Carlin as an example, I was just—he's not actually a comedian; he's a philosopher. He just tells jokes so you don't get mad. And I'm like, oh, it just blew the top of my head off, you know? Like, holy crap, he's right, you know? Because you listen to Carlin, and it was, a, and Carlin was a big influence on me. That was, he was a, he was the first time I had heard somebody correctly, in my opinion, question, quote unquote, the system, the man, whatever you want to call it. At every point he made, he was right, and he knew it. He just needed you to know it. And I saw what he was trying to do. And later on in life, when he, I believe, and I have no facts to back this up, other than the way he acted and the things he said, I believe he felt like he, or he feared he lost that battle. Uh, he, you, you could see him going from trying to communicate to just showing people how angry he was. Right. Because he knew he didn't fix it he didn't get it in time and it just got worse and i think he partially blamed himself like i could have done better fast forward you have dave Chappelle, who is also one of the leading lights in the comedy philosopher uh genre in in our time and he writes this thing and again i don't agree with all the material in it i do think the only thing and who am i right like this is one of the greatest living comedians Perhaps the top one of the top five who have ever lived, at least in our country. I, I mean, like, who am I to make criticisms? But though I'd have ended it about 30 seconds before he did. The joke he ended on for me would have been, I knew your father and he was a great woman. And just dropped the mic and walked off the stage. I, I wouldn't have done I wouldn't have done the last joke, quit punching down on my people. 
But I know why he did it. Because it made him angry. It made him angry that people keep using that to 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 illustrate that they're you know playing the victim. And he hates it. And I know that's why he did it. But I think it would have been a much stronger ending if he had just stopped 30 seconds before he did. I, now, I, he's arguably, as he said, as he even said, you know, arguably, I'm the goat. So who am I to tell him how to write his show? You know, his his society provoking, per, perhaps life changing show. Who am I to tell him how to do that? But I'd have I'd have left it there. I, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is that you can see his response to all of this. You know, you've got all the people who want Netflix to take it down. And his response to the whole thing is take it down. They already paid me. Yeah, <laughs> if that's I got the message. This, if that if that's your response to this, then take it down. You're misunderstood it all from the beginning. But if that's whatever, I got paid. I said what I needed to say. And it it comes kind of back, but the message was there, right? He delivered the message. He delivered it in a medium and at a time when millions of people saw it. So it got through. If you are too obtuse or too jaded or too stupid or too intellectual or too whatever to understand the message, that's not his fault. You've heard it. So I get him. You know, I get like I put this art out there. I took the risk on it and I made sure that I said what I had to say. Now, you can do whatever you want with that. But he, one of the other points that he would, he kind of went into was the way that language in and of itself and the way we communicate with uh, with each other has changed. Um, and it was a conversation I had with my father a while back while my daughter was sitting there, and she, she's kind of helped me understand some of this stuff uh, just as I talk about the way I learn to communicate and the way that she's telling me that people can do communicate these days. And I finally heard it put in a way, and it made everything very, very clear to me, and I said it earlier, which is when when you and I grew up and when we were taught to communicate with people, we were taught that what was important was the message that we were trying to communicate or our intention, what it is that we were trying to say and not to say that everybody was going to understand it. That didn't mean that you weren't going to put your foot in your mouth. Or um, I think the term that I, I heard from time to time, which I always thought was funny was step on your own dick. Um, yes. I've done that many times. <laughs> Way but, to go, Sean. You've really screwed the pooch on that one. <laughs> uh, but, but at the same time, somebody would point that out to you and you had the opportunity at that point in time to say either you know what, I apologize, that's not exactly what I was trying to communicate, let me see if I can do this better. Or, if they got it right and you were just being a dick, you could own it and move on. But we don't do that anymore. And my, I was trying to explain this to my father and he wasn't understanding and my daughter was sitting there. So, uh, I did something as an example in which I just for no reason whatsoever dropped the N-bomb, the dreaded N-word, and watched my daughter lose her ever-loving mind. And she, she still gets to a little bit pissed at me today, and this was a while back. And I, and I looked at my father and I said, do, do you see what happened there? I just used a word that she thinks is bad, and I didn't call anybody that name. 
I didn't refer to anybody as that name. I used it in a instructional and educational purpose to prove a point. And she is still angry with me because of the effect that it had on her, not in what I was trying to communicate. And it took that for my father to understand what's changed. And and it makes life very, very difficult for me. Because not only is the language changing, but it's changing at such a rate that you don't necessarily know that you're communicating what it is that you were intending to communicate, and you're not going to have the opportunity to try again. You're not going to have the opportunity to roll that back. Uh, you're simply going to be told that you're wrong. Not only are you wrong, but you are a terrible, terrible human being for having said that in the first place and not realizing that the word that you just use has changed. You know what I've noticed to go along with your point? I work in, for all intents and purposes, corporate America. It's small corporate, but it's corporate America. And a lot of our customers, a lot of our uh, uh, clients and, and third parties and all that kind of stuff, I, I talk to a lot of them in my job. And I have noticed a huge trend in corporations that's very quiet, and nobody talks about it, but everybody seems to be setting it up this way. And it's very interesting to me. Most, not all, but most of the corporation heads uh, you're talking your presidents, your CEOs, your owners, your board of directors, your kind of um, senior VP and up, you know, anyone with a C title, any of those people. A lot of those people in, in uh, corporate all over the country are boomers. That's just what they are. Uh, they have risen to that position. They're not going to retire. Why should they? They're getting what they need and they're they're uh they have a long time and long standing experience and they're just not leaving and they are for all intents and purposes sort of like your father or whatever um kind of stuck in their modality as far as how they think about language how they think about addressing people how they go about uh doing the business of their day and on the other end of the spectrum, there is millennials who do not get along with the boomers. They cannot be in the same room together oftentimes because the boomers infuriate the millennials and the millennials fire right back and infuriate the boomers. And Gen Z's doesn't seem to be any better as far as I can tell, although they're just coming online as far as a corporate and out of college type of thing is Gen Z. But um, what the boomers who are basically in charge of the, the they have their hands on the levers and everything like that, instead of changing or trying to understand the millennials or anything like that, and maybe Culture's always been like this. I don't know. This is just my my only spin around go. But what the boomers have seemed to come to as a large consensus is I know what we'll do. I don't want to talk to those millennials. And honestly, we think they're idiots. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take Gen X and we're going to put them in the middle of us and the millennials. <laughs> and they're going to act as not only our shield, but ours, our interpreter. And they're going to go figure that we'll promote them to directors and VPs and all that kind of stuff. But they can really kind of run around in the middle of this because I don't want to talk to them. 
I don't understand them. They get mad for no reason. You know, and this is just how the boomers think, right? They're mad for no reason. And the millennials are like, they're so insensitive. They say crap that isn't true. They're, they're okay, boomer. You know, like you hear it, like you hear it everywhere. And there's, but, but see, the funny thing is, is that they'll say that. And then when the boomer goes, well, fine, you're fired. Uh, oh, then it's righteous indignation. Of course it is. And fury and the, the pits of hell and flame and, and retribution, right? And here's Great poor Gen X. And furious anger. Yeah. <laughs> and there's poor Gen X in the middle going, all right, yeah. Um, okay, they were very okay. angry you're, when you said that. You're both too rigid. You're too rigid in the fact that y- you won't be nice. And you're too rigid in the fact that you're expecting everybody to wipe your ass for you. And uh, somewhere along the line, we're trying to find a comfortable middle ground. And yeah, no. And it just it. And you're stuck in the middle, and you're like, you got neither one. Neither one of you see it, right? Neither one of you see it. Like, how did we get here? You know, I mean, I know how we got here. The boomers went, yeah, you guys deal with it. Well, I don't want to deal with them. But like, like this was never like it was, this was never Gen X's job to interpret between millennials and boomers. But that seems to be where we're stuck because they really, truly have no idea. Where the other one's coming from? Either one of them. No. And well, I, I don't, I don't understand how they can't like they. Millennials have no problem working with Gen X and relating to them. I, um, I, I think what's kind of gone on more than anything else is the fact that generational divides are getting larger and happening faster than they ever have before. Part of it's technology, part of it's social media. You can point the finger at many, many different things, but it's happening much, much greater, much, much faster, and I, I, I don't think some people can keep up with it. Well, clearly not. Because, uh, the... I mean, it, we, it, going back to language to some extent, we've come to a point in which, you know... Uh, it's almost to a point where you've got Old English, Middle English, and Modern English. And <laughs> and all of those things took hundreds of years to happen. You got Boomer, you got Gen X, you got Millennial. And even though we're saying the same words, we're not, we are quite literally, and I'm not even, this isn't even exaggeration, it's not hyperbole or anything of that nature. We are not speaking the same language anymore. The same words do not mean the same things to the di- to the different generations anymore. You know what's funny is most words that you use to describe a generation of people or a certain portion of generation of people become slurs. Uh, let me give you a couple examples, right? And I don't condone any of these necessarily, or or thing, but I I know what they are and I know how they affect people. Let me give you the first one. Now, what do you think your daughter is going to do if I called her a snowflake? Uh, at the moment, I, the, at the I think she oh geez, uh, at a minimum an eye roll, at a maximum a stomp into the floor and turn around the other direction and slink out of the room. Right. Now, what do you think would happen if I called a, I don't know, 32-year-old urban professional a snowflake? 
Uh, I have the answer, by the way. Uh, their head would spin <laughs> around and fire would come out their ears. Because they had been called that. It's sort of like calling a Gen X a slacker. Like, that was what they did in the 90s, you know? Um, that, that's just, You're going to have to get off the skateboard and get off the coffee shop eventually and get a job, you know? That was always what they told us. You're, they're slackers. They're just lazy. Um, that was always what they told us. Um, and it, it just became like, but we embraced it. We're like, yeah, yeah sounds like a plan. <laughs> You're never going to stop playing video games. Well, I hadn't planned to No, <laughs> I'm 45 years old. Still haven't stopped. You know, <laughs> hell I spent most of my weekend doing that. Yeah. I got fallout. I just downloaded the new, uh, update of fallout the other day. So yeah, I'm in Nuka Cola world. Screw it. Um, it's got cool new graphics and everything. I got new, new power armor. It's great. We leaned into it because we didn't care, right? But that's not how the millennials work. Uh, if if you say the word, oh, God, she got triggered. There's a certain portion of Gen Z that their eyeballs will explode. If, if you suggest that they've been triggered by something that they shouldn't be triggered by. There's there's all these words, and and normally... It's another generation using it to describe some uh, misunderstanding, uh, to your point, misunderstanding of language between the two. And, and there's there's actually a term for that. It's become one of my favorite terms. Be, well, and I'm being facetious when I say favorite because it makes my eyeballs want to explode every time I hear it. And it is a generational thing. What you're talking about is what they call these days a microaggression. Oh, Yeah. No, they they love to invent terms for this shit. Yeah, it's and yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it. I I, I for the life of me cannot figure out what the hell a microaggression is. I mean, basically, what? A, oh, I'll take that back. I know exactly what a microaggression is. I just know that a lot of people aren't going to agree with me. Aggression is is when you actually sell to somebody to go fuck themselves. A microaggression is, is when somebody feels like they've been told to go fuck themselves, even though that is not what you said, not what you intended, or in any way, shape, or form, but they still need to find a way to say you made them feel bad. I actually had this happen to me, like, uh, I don't know, about a, a couple of months ago. and it, They did not last long. I'll be very clear on that. It wasn't any of my doing either, but I had somebody, I had asked a, uh, an employee on our team, to to do a specific task, a specific project, because that's literally what they were hired to do. And they looked me dead in the eye and went, you're not the boss of me. I went, <laughs> well, that's, that's actually fair. I am not your immediate boss. I am four steps above your immediate boss. Um, I need you to take care of that. It's quite literally why you are sitting at this table. And he got up and huffed, and he's like, I told you, you're not the boss of me. I have stuff to do. I'm like, who do you think made that list for you? <laughs> Where do you think that came from? I'm not just making this up because it makes me feel good. We got to get this done. And he just, he didn't do it. And, I'm just, unbelievable. <laughs> and it's gotten that bad. You know, now it's, it's you're not the boss of me, in which case you want to look at them and go, what are you, five? Yeah. Um, First of all, yeah, I am. Second of all. 
my, what my, do you think? My yeah. favorite thing, and we've had to, we've talked about these before. We did that if you actually start reading um, work agreements, that you'll find little things in there like uh, if you go out and defame the organization in public, we have the right to fire you. Um, we talked about that one before. But the other one is, is that when it, if you look at just about any hiring agreement, when it gives out the list of responsibilities for your job, there's a disclaimer at the end. The last one is always and anything else required. Yeah. And I love showing that to people who go, well, that's not my job. <laughs> Come here. Let's look at the employee handbook for a second. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. You know, I, I, we have something similar in our employment agreement, only it says in all required tasks, you know, it says it's, something like, it's, you know, it's it, required it, tasks that make sense for your job, you know? Yeah. But basically it is is that you, you may have, your day-to-day tasks are generally going to be X, Y, and Z. But if somebody who's, uh, who's above you comes and asks you to do A, B, or C, do it. And I, what – it's you the – grumble about it later. There's a club for people who don't like their jobs. They, it's called everyone, and they meet at the bar. Right. And they drink heavily and tell, uh, you know, that their boss is an idiot. And look, I, I I'm in full support of that plan. I'll buy the first round. OK, I am the idiot. I, I'm clearly it's fine. I don't mind it. I don't mind that you're blowing off steam. But what what gets me is the the sense and, and I know, like, you're my age. Actually, you're a touch older than me. So you remember when, when offices and businesses were like this. When you're the boot, when you're the new guy, it doesn't really matter what your job title was. Your job is whatever the hell anybody figures that they you need to be doing that day. Well, you got the shit work. Right. That's literally what the new guy does. You're fresh out of school. You don't know anything. And they're trying to show you. And this is the part I think that, that America is failing on horribly. They're, they were trying to show you how the business actually worked. There's a fantastic way. And I resented it at the time. I didn't understand why it was happening. I understand why they do it. I went through two years of art school and other training to get this job as a uh, video and creative art uh specialist and my job for two hours every morning was to go around to every person in every department and take their coffee order and deliver it to the uh the kitchen every day well yeah and 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 once again it goes back to uh, hell uh, i can't believe i'm going to quote transformers but you want the job that comes after this job but you have to do this job First. Yeah. And what's funny is I talked to and I, I grumbled about it because I, I was like, this is demeaning and this is menial and this is crap. And that's not why I'm here and everything. And uh, I guess I grumbled a lot because the my let's see, one, two, three, third manager up. Right. Three bosses above me. Uh, so he wasn't the line supervisor or the the uh, the team supervisor. He wasn't the team manager. He was the director of our department. He called me in one day and he's like, "Sean, I, I closed the door. I I know you don't like doing that. I know you hate the coffee thing and everything. But you're the new guy and the new guy's got to learn this." He goes, "Do you know why we make you do that? Because it isn't to demean you and it isn't because we can't get anybody else to do. It. We got a secretary out there who will take it over after you do it again." 
right? She, it's normally her job, but you're doing it for the first three months or uh, not three months. I think it was three weeks, three months. Uh, no, it, it was like a month. He's like, do you know why you're doing that? I'm like, because you need to assert dominance. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what's the, what's the miracle here? He goes, do you know where every department is? Yeah. Do you know everyone in that department? Yeah. Do you know what they do? Have they seen your face? Have they talked with you? Uh, yeah. So if you were mobile and you wanted to go to, or you were upperly mobile and you wanted to go into this department, who would you talk to? Oh, I'd talk to Greg over there because he runs all that stuff. He's a nice guy, but you know, he likes this and this and this. Yeah. That's why we do that. You know everybody here. You know where they are. You know what department they run. You know how they work and who they're friends with and where they sit and where they go to lunch and how they take their coffee and how you know everything. That's why we do that. I'm like, oh, and I felt so freaking stupid. Like, well, that that oh. happens to most people, especially the ones that the company actually likes. Right. You know, usually somebody, if it once you start bitching uh, at that point in time, there's usually somebody who will pull you aside, whether it's somebody, whether it's the general or the sergeant or somebody in between. Somebody's going to pull you aside and go, uh, you're missing the point. Right. Look around you. Stop for a second and look around you. But once again, you even reached a point where, you, that's considered offensive in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I this was more than this. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? This was 1998. Okay, the internet was just barely a thing, and it wouldn't stream very fast. Streaming was like a fantasy. You could stream at like 56k. Okay, this wasn't like there wasn't intermessage office, you know, office intermessage boards. There wasn't chat. There wasn't any of that stuff. The best way that they could figure out to get me in front of everybody else, get me introduced to the crew and get me acclimated to the environment, to the company and to learn everybody's name and face and 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 remember it and, and internalize it was to do this. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's kind of demeaning. And yeah, nobody wants to do it, but it works. And I just I, and I did use those connections and I did get transferred to a different department because I knew the guy. And I knew that he was into, at the time, it just came out. I knew he was into the Matrix, just like I was, because I saw his screensaver. And it was all, like, falling green code, right? And as part of the Matrix Club, you knew exactly who that was. So you could go talk to him about it. And you could do, you know, you could have these philosophical discussions and everything. And after eight months, when I wanted to be transferred into his uh, 3D uh, video department. He was like, Oh yeah, I know him. He's a real good guy. Why don't you bring him over here? We'll kind of timeshare him for a little while until I can, you know, figure out some budget. And it worked. And I'm like, damn it. But to your point, now they would look at that and go, I'm not making an impact here. I'm just getting coffee. I'm out. After they lodged a complaint to every regulatory body that they could find that they were not being utilized to their full potential. Or even just the fact that it was offensive that you would expect them to get you. Or, or I'll even take it a step further. It was a aggressive harassment or microaggression for them to think that you could be, you're being treated like a waitress. Right. I'm not a barista. I have a master's degree. It's like, I don't care who you are. 
You're getting coffee the first six, you know, first six weeks. What one of my favorite authors always tells a story about how he got into writing his first actual successful novel that he was taking a class from someone who and the, and he's always funny the way he puts it. He sits there and goes, had only published something like 86 novels. <laughs> uh, and and he he came into it with the fact that he wanted to do things this particular way and every time he would bring her a chapter that she would and he was incensed that she would roll it up whack him in the head with it and say no and the first time that he actually managed to write a novel that became the series that he's known for was he wrote it her way to prove her wrong and she looked at it and went, this is the first thing that you've written that'll actually sell. And it became this multifaceted series that he's written for years. Uh, it's the, uh, it, but today, somebody would have looked at him and went, no, 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 this is my vision. This is the way I feel. This is my truth. That's another one of my favorites. This is my truth. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's my personal truth. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Well, let me give you let me give you another example. This is also came from me. Uh, the the second, maybe the third job that uh, I had out of school, and I and I've told this story a couple of times um, to various people and everything, but it absolutely one hundred percent happened. I worked at a major uh, magazine publication company, major company. You've heard of their stuff. You've read their stuff. You probably have some of their stuff. Uh, well. Ten years ago, you probably had some of their stuff in your house. Hustler? Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't dirty. It's actually it was cars. All right, they did cars. They did a bridal thing. They did yeah, they did a lot of stuff. They did major publications. And uh, I would uh, I was on the creative team, and it was my first creative team in a big bullpen type environment. And they like if you've never been in one of those, they chew you up and spit you out. They only want the top fifteen percent, and everybody else winds up either getting transferred or let go. Uh, but they keep the people that have some talent, and but they don't really have a lot of time to invest in that. So what they do is they bring you into this um, kind of amphitheater type projection room. Oh, there's probably closers. Yeah. Oh, it's it's it was it was brutal, and I am all of uh, 24. All right, I've been out of school for a couple of years, but this is my first job working in a big ass publication where I'm part of a large team and everything's divvied up and you're you're doing all kinds of stuff. So they had this grizzled old art director and this dude was was mean. Um never smiled. I, I worked there for two years, never saw the man crack a smile, not even once. Uh, never had a good thing to say about anybody. The best, the best critique he could get out of your you could get out of him for your stuff was all right. And that was it. And then he'd move on. Right. He had no notes. That was a glowing commendation uh, that that you would remember for all of your days. I got two of those out of him in the entire year I worked there, so, entire two years I worked there. So, so basically, if he didn't put it on the floor, unzip his fly and piss on it, you were probably doing OK. You, yeah. You got some work to do, but that was probably all right. So um, what he would do is uh, every page of the magazine uh, was edited and, and he would go and he would approve and make notes on every page of the magazine when they, we finally got the rough done. So he would do the cover and then he would. All right. And what you're supposed to do is he would. Who did this page? All right. Stand up. And then he'd turn around, look at it and give you notes and then move on to the next one. So he came to mine and I'd worked there for, I don't know, six days. 
And it was my first full page print ad that I ever done. And he's like, who did this? And I stood up. I was super proud. I was figuring he was going to go on about how wonderful it was and everything like that. And he looks at this and, and he looks at me and he goes, all right, I need you to redo this and make it suck less. <laughs> and I I was like, uh, okay, like, like, what are you looking for? And he goes, I'm glad you asked that question. This but less sucky. <laughs> and the guy beside my, my team lead was sitting beside me and he's like, just say thank you and sit down. <laughs> thank you. You know, and like it's a thousand degrees in this amphitheater now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what the hell's happening. I, it like, I, I feel like my career has just been sunk. Uh, it's, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible day. You know, it's the type of day you just want to go home and like, you know, kick a cat you know like you don't know what the hell is going like how did we get here and so uh and then he moves on and, and we go we have to sit through the rest of this like 48 page magazine while i'm sitting there just in silence brooding on on what has happened and we get out of the thing and i'm like what the hell was that and he goes okay basically you didn't meet any of the criteria he goes did you call the client and ask if this was a promotion for an ongoing campaign uh, no. Did you ask for the history of this campaign and see what they did so that they and, and see if they wanted to do something similar or different? Uh, no. Did you look at any of the other adjacent ad or, you know, the uh, the, the ads or, or content in the adjacent page and see if this clashed or stood out with it? Uh, no. Yeah. You didn't do anything. You went and said, I'm an artist and I will make greatness and just went off on your own. <laughs> Yeah, basically that's what happened. Yeah, and he called you on it. So uh, suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> Looks like you're going to be doing this over. Good thing you're hourly because you're going to be working late. Uh, and I did, and and I reworked it, and and um, this, you know, the next time he, he was like, I don't like this. Move this. Uh, change this to a darker shade and make the text smaller. Well, thank then you. Apparently, it sucked less. Yeah, it did. It would suck less, right? <laughs> and. Uh, you know, but but can you imagine putting a someone, I don't know, 22, 24 now in that same room with that same dude? Oh, he'd make them cry. Oh, th no. I mean, they they'd think they're they go on Instagram and Twitter and everything and tell them how this man needs to be canceled and doxxed because he's a horrible human being and everything. And really, all it was was one, he was surly two he'd done this job for like 30 years and he hated everyone. It wasn't I wasn't special. He hated everyone. He didn't like anything. Nothing impressed him <laughs> now, anymore. I, I know it's cliche to say this, though, but these days everyone is special. Right. Right. And he didn't care about any of that. <laughs> he really didn't. He cared about, did you make more work for him? And is he going to have to explain this to somebody else later? And if the answer is you made more work for him and he's going to have to explain this, you're going to redo it. And that's just the end of it. He didn't have time to coddle your feelings. He didn't have time to, to you know, be inspirational to you. Do your job or don't. I don't care which you pick. And that's not something that flies. Well. But I'll tell you this. It made me a better artist, and it made me understand what my job actually was. But even the, 
and it it seems like all of these podcasts tend to run into similar topics with each other, which they're going to. But even then, it kind of goes back to the idea of education. You can't educate someone without and make them feel bad anymore. You know, uh, discomfort, unhappiness, and pain are one of the best educators on the face of the earth. To tell somebody that they did something wrong, that that needs to be fixed, is one of the best ways to get them to learn something. But we can't, we're, we're not even allowed to do that anymore. Yeah, oh no. No, I mean, that wouldn't fly now, I'm sure. I'm sure that, the, you know, it, it's, and honestly, that same, and he was responsible for hiring every, that, that man was responsible for hiring, personally hiring everyone in that room. Everyone. So not only after I thought about it a while, I was like, he did tell you he believed in your skills when he hired you. He just thinks you can do better and you better start because he took the chance on you and he believed in you. Then make him right. You know, and I didn't get that for years. Right. I was pissed at him for for several years until I was in a different room at a different job. And a different thing, and I was explaining this to uh, an apprentice, you know, uh, uh, an intern. Like, what is this? Why is this here? You know. And that's no different than anything in life. I mean, I've been saying for years that you're not actually grown up till you can look back at your parents and realize that they actually weren't the idiots you thought they were. Yo, yeah, I've had to eat a lot of apologies to my parents uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you you know it's bad when your little brother is who hadn't had kids yet at the time is looking at you, yelling at the back door at your kid, going, "You're channeling dad, stop!" <laughs> Holy crap! Did dad just come out of your mouth? Uh, Holy, like, are you taking dad lessons? What is wrong with you? You know, and, 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 and it's the same pentameter, and it's the same everything. You know, yeah. And, and it goes into the same generational gap that we're talking about. It, it, it's part of life to go through and learn. I, maybe my question comes down to at what point did we stop listening to the people who had learned and start taking it on the people who had no fucking clue what they were talking about, who obviously had to be right? Well, that's actually pretty easy to answer because the people who have learned are obviously evil and they've ruined the planet and they hate you and they should be canceled. That's why we stopped listening to them. Uh, it didn't matter who they are because of what they look like. If they happen to be a middle aged white male, they're obviously the spawn of Satan. If they happen to be well off or have earned a position that is uh, pretty stratospheric in a company. They are obviously evil and lying and stealing from you. Uh, there's that's how that works now. It, it, where did logic go? I mean, I know I've been accused of being a Vulcan before in my appreciation for logic, but I I heard something the other day and I, it's pissing me off right now that I can't remember who and I'm not smart enough to be able to recreate what he did. But I heard a mathematician in a conversation with regards to the things that are going on with anti-racism these days use symbolic logic and mathematics to show definitively that what we're doing as far as anti-racism today will not only not work, but have the opposite effect. 
where did that go in our lives? Why? Well, yeah, and I I know what you're saying, but but I think that partially goes hand in hand with what um, largely society and the media has done to us and themselves. Because any dissenting opinions that you find on any of those mediums, be it social media or mainstream news or anything like that, because they lie to you so often about everything else, they just assume, because they've never heard them tell the truth, that that's lying as well. So there is no credible source. There's nothing. Like, who can you believe? Do you believe the the government? Obviously not. Do you believe the media? No, they're clearly lying. Clearly to everyone, including you, you know, uh, including themselves. Right. Who do you believe? Do you believe your parents? Not those dicks. You know, who do you believe? I mean, it's a serious, serious problem. There is no trust. So how can you listen and gain wisdom and and better yourself from a place where you have no credible authority that you would believe uh, has not lied to you. And where do they turn? They turn to celebrities. They must have it together. Oh, God. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Every time I keep thinking Tom Cruise and Jenny McCarthy. (sighs) I mean, the, the, the... the first time I heard a 13-year-old girl tell me that, that Kim Kardashian is a good role model, I wanted to smack her, and she wasn't related to me. <laughs> I'm like, no. Roll up a newspaper, hit her in the head, and go, no. Yeah, just no. All the no's. And, you, I, I'm, and I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I turned around, and I'm like, what leadership or or – credentials does she possess that makes you think she is in any way qualified to make your life better well she's rich so obviously she did something right so she she knows how it works she had a porn tape i'm like you you have any idea how she became that way any idea like i can draw you a map you won't believe it but her her dad's best friend killed his wife (laughs) he got all of his money and then your mom married a guy who was on a Wheaties box, and suddenly <laughs> she you decided, husband. To, yeah. And then you decide that you're bored, so you make a tape that makes you infamous. And for some strange reason in that history, she becomes famous, and then everybody needs her to endorse their stuff. I'm like, that's actually what happened. I said, it's the weird. You couldn't write Stranger Fiction. But they're confusing notoriety and celebrity with authority and knowledge and respectability because they don't know the difference. They have never been presented. And there is a certain level, and you know what I'm talking about. There is a certain age where below that age, and I'm not exactly sure where it is. It happens somewhere in the millennials. But there's a certain age where they've never known the difference. They don't know the difference between somebody who is infamous, somebody who's famous, somebody who's credible, and somebody who's lying to them. And because they can prove one person's lying to them or one source or one outlet or whatever, they all must be doing it. Yeah, because, well... (laughs) Any two idiots can get online and start expressing their opinion. 
Exactly. Look, we're all assholes. All right? I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just saying they have no, to your point, they have no cognizant reasoning where they can separate, okay, logically, this must be true because of these things. They don't do that. And maybe it's not because they've been taught how. Maybe it's because they, you know, they, they've been proven time and time. Maybe they've never had a decision work out for them and gone, oh, wow, that's how it's supposed to work. Like, I don't know. Because it goes back to what we were started saying, which was, you know, you and I grew up in a time period in which we made a mistake. Somebody looked at you and went, okay, idiot, how are you going to fix it? Well, that was dumb, wasn't it? What have we learned? Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. Now, nowadays, we, we, we wipe their ass, we pat them on the behind and tell them it's going to be okay, and we'll take care of it for them. But but even then, it, as, as you've said before, you know, there's no other information out there. I mean, when you've got the people who are supposed to be the scientific experts on things who are flat out lying to the entire public... And then when they get called on it going, oh, no, no, we, we didn't really lie. You know, it, what is a lie? Yeah. Well, it, but but even then they're creating their own language to prove themselves correct. Oh, yeah. No, it's it, it's uh, like you, you want to trigger like half the United States population. Say these two words in any conversation. Fake news. Watch people's heads spin off their body. And and once again, what I blame him for is by making it so blatant that everyone else looked and went, well, fuck, if he can get away with it. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, I I get their point. I mean, I can see why they don't bother because because they know they're pre-screwed and everyone's lying to them. How would they know? Well, I mean, they, what are they basing it on? And, and, and that's what the previous four years of politics taught us which is everyone is it went above and beyond i am not a crook it went above and beyond how do you define is it was whatever this guy says is either the god's honest truth no matter how ridiculous it is or an absolute lie no matter how credible it is and whichever side you're on what's told to you is gospel and it became so much bullshit that no one can smell the, the roses through the bullshit anymore. And you've got an entire generation of people who are tired of it. Actually, we're all tired of it. They're hopeless and retire and, and tired of it. And it's that's the part, I think, that spawns the most despair and the most anger and the most irrational behavior because when you're hopeless when you're sure you're screwed there's nothing you can do to get out of it what do you do you know what what choice do you have you know you buy a lottery ticket hope for the best and you know try and take your mind off of it because you know there's not a whole lot you can do so and and, and i and i can it's easy to see, even if you use something as uh, cliche and ever-present as the whole climate change thing. They've been talking about climate change since we were a kid. 
and they've been told that you know within a few decades or a few years that everything was going to be awful and terrible and the world could end. They made movies about it and all that. To be fair, it is getting awful and terrible, and you know the whole world could end. But but see, the, the the difference being is is that we heard it and didn't see it. They're they're hearing it and thinking it's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And in some cases it does. You know, oh, yeah. you got wildfires burning down half of the western United States. You've got, you know, more hurricanes and more bad storms I've and more got floods. A close friend whose house burned down recently. Yeah. I mean, so I kind of see their point. You know, if they look at this and go, wow, this is the end times, is it? And uh, how are you going to tell them it's not? You know, they have nothing to base the truth on. Everyone is lying to them. Everyone is. So I don't blame them for it. I I do think they could benefit from, at least as a generation and the generation behind them. I have big hopes for Generation Alpha. I really do. I it, uh, That's unproven and completely just me hoping for the best. But I have big hopes for a Generation Alpha because sure. millennials are lost and Gen Z ain't far behind them. Now, but, I, I, oh, okay, then I... Me being the cynical bastard that I am, my question at that point is, is where does that hope come from? What are we hoping for? Are they going to finally look around and go, well, this is fucked. You all people just get out of the way. We'll put things back to right. Um, Is there expectation of technology, the world? We won't give a shit what's going on in the world because we'll all be living in the Matrix by then. Um, What where does that level of hope for Gen Alpha come from? Do you know why? Uh, it, you know what? You're gonna laugh, and and I know I know how most people view this, but but follow me on this. When does the human race pull itself up by the bootstraps? When does that happen? Universally, <laughs> right after a war. Well, more specifically, when things cannot get much horribly worse. Oh, so we're saying we're like alcoholics. We need to find, you know, ground zero. We bottom. need to hit rock bottom before we're we need to anything. hit bottom. And I think we're on the way down. So I think within a generation or two, we're going to hit rock bottom. And what it takes to get yourself out of rock bottom is three things. And this is proven through history. Look it up. Uh, millennials, this is a thing that that is not uh, personal truth. It is actual facts. But. We'll go there later. Um, we need three things. You need three things to change the world. One is a charismatic leader. Two is a reasonable, not a great, not a cheap, not an expensive, not a graceful, but a plan, a reasonable plan. And you need an infectious idea. You get those three things together, and you can change a planet. You can. We've seen it happen. But what that takes normally is for things to get so bad that that leader feels they have no choice. And that's really what it is. It's always like a single flashpoint. It's always a spark. Look at any of the the great leaders that really forged us forward in in our our history you know those leaders arose because there was no one else to take the damn reins and they figured 
I got to do this for myself, for my family, for my posterity, for my country, for the planet. I have to do this because no one else can. But to make that person rise up, it has to be so bad that there's no other choice. They feel there's no other choice than to do that. Martin Luther King was one of those. Um, I, George Washington was one of those. There was there were several, and I know historians are going to get uh, upset about some of those uh, illusions, but well, I mean, yeah, but those are also the same people who want to change the date that the country was founded. Uh, it, sure. And as much as we have, you know, going going back, you have Martin, uh, Martin Luther King, you have Lincoln, you have Washington. If if you want to go even into antiquity, you have Augustus. Uh, as much as we have those things, I being the pessimist and the paranoid you know, idiot that I am, I always remember the statement of you start with Bolsheviks, but you end up with Stalin. That's where the infectious idea comes in, right? That Because if you just have a great leader and a reasonable plan, you get Hitler, right? right? He had a great plan. <laughs> he, had a great, he had a fantastic plan, super charismatic leader. He didn't have the infectious idea. Um, the, the infectious idea, and what I'm saying when I say that, is it is obvious to the most casual observer that not only is his logic sound or her or her, them or whoever it is, this person's idea is not only logically sound, but it presents a way forward in which everyone can see in plain and simple terms how they get from here to there. And normally it comes with several things. There's a lot of trappings with that. There's a catchphrase normally. <laughs> There's logic that goes. And it's what modern politics tries to recreate, and they're terribly shitty at it, right? Like well, they're, well, they always try and create these things, but trying, that's not how that happens. Well, they're trying to create it, but they're full of shit. Right, and that's the problem. You can't create it from crap. It has to be a real inspirational idea and i tell this to my daughters all the time how do you change the world you start by changing the people in it that is the only way forward you can't force it you must change the hearts and mind of the people and i think we can do that we have the ability to we're still humans we still function the same way we always did we're still the same animal we're just stupid right now <laughs> and I think if we can fix that, it will change. But the, in my opinion, and this is where my cynical part comes in, much like yours. I think we only change when it is so bad that we can do nothing else. We are forced into it. That is the only time as a people we decide to do the right thing. A, a global pandemic didn't do it. No, no, because not – and I know this is going to sound harsh and it's going to sound crappy and terrible. Not enough people had to suffer bad enough to make it that bad. 60 70% of the country were minimally affected. They, we were affected, but we still had houses. We still had power. We still had light and heat and water and food or at least enough food. To make it when that changed. And that's why the government covered those bases, because if they didn't, we'd be living in the United States of who gives a shit right now. 
because it would have ended in a fiery ball of fury and rage and retribution and lawlessness. And we came dangerously close to that, right? Not enough people, and I truly, and I know that's cynical, and I know it's horrible to say. Not enough people had to suffer enough to push the ball over the hill. But you gotta love the logic on that one. And I know there's, I I know at least one person who's is gonna listen, who's listens to this, is gonna say something to me about this. But uh, (laughs) the world's burning down, everything's lawless, and everybody went. You know what we don't need? Police officers. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? <laughs> We're going to defund the people keeping the, the, the sandbags in front of the flood. We're not, we're not going to reform it. We're not going to change the rules. We're just going to throw it the fuck out. Now, see, I think that's the right idea. Just wrong target, right? They should have done that with the political elites, and they aimed for their local municipalities. Like, they missed the ball entirely, like a whiffer. Didn't hit the backboard, not the net, not the rim, nothing. Just clear, sailed clear over the backboard. Hit the wrong target entirely. But what they should have done has been canceling our elite class. And I'm not going to argue with that, but because I think one of, and I'm 90% sure I said it to you, but one of the best memes that I thought explained exactly where we are and it, it, it could basically explain how you could hate both of them was electing Biden to replace Trump was like shitting in your pants and changing your shirt. <laughs> I saw that. And I, I, I just I I really don't think that an architecture in the way that it functions right now that is so like they're not even asking the right questions. Right there. We're doing what's best for the party. The party has nothing to do with the people anymore. I mean, they've even they've even dropped after Trump. They dropped the illusion that they even care about anything but party politics. And and, and for those of you thinking he's talking about the other party other than yours, he's not. I'm talking about everybody, all, both of them yes. and in any independence you can name anybody. They're, they've just dropped the illusion entirely that they give a flying two fucks about anything that is not an elite government uh, political matter. They don't even they're not even pretending anymore that that is not the case. So that cannot last for more than two generations because you're going to burn through the wealth and the good faith. Of everybody that's left right now, there's a lot of people who still have faith in the system, right? There's a lot of boomers still alive. There's a lot of older Gen X. There's a lot of even mid to younger Gen X that that have faith in the system. Surely America is still a great country. Now, the cutoff happens right at the millennials where they're going. Yeah, uh, that's bullshit. And um, we can prove it's not. And it continues down the line. But the problem is there's too many on one side of the equation right now. There's too many who still think the system will save them, their party, their candidate, their guy in whatever office it is will do the right thing and pull them from the fire. There's still too many people alive who think that that is still true, in my personal opinion. 
I once that take, changes, take, take that a step further, and there's enough of us also who, even though we know that's true, it's still the devil we know. Oh yeah, you know. Well, I, I ha- let's put it this way: I have yeah. zero faith in the system, like none. With that said, the idea of what would come after tearing down the system is what scares the shit out of me. See, that's that's our problem. We are so established. You and I, I'm not talking about our as a country. You and I's problem is we fall into that group where we've established enough that we don't have time to start over. We have a house. We have children. We have a mortgage. We have cars. We have a job. We have a career. We have we're almost halfway through. We're over halfway through our working career. We're on the back. We're on the back nine. Where where I'm too old for this shit. Right. And while we see it and we know that it is true that the system no longer works for us, it's all we have. And it's a it's a particularly crappy setup to be in, because I honestly I would love to be the one raging against the machine. No pun intended. Um, I would love to be that guy. That's how that's my default setting. That's where I live. I hate the man. I hate the system. I hate the control. I hate the government. I hate the system of of control that they exert using the illusion of freedom. I, I, I resent the hell out of it. However, like you, I'm so invested in it, I can do nothing else at this time. There is no way forward because like you said, and I think this is a very valid point, I'm old enough to know. What happens if we pull the trigger on it? And that's not something I will risk my children's livelihood on. And that's our problem, right? <laughs> that's that's where we are. That's where we live. And there is a progressive or progressively large and growing number of people who do not have that issue. They do not have that baggage. They don't have, quite literally, anything but debt. What do those people have to lose? Not a lot. And once they figure that out and get organized, all it's going to take is a charismatic leader, a reasonable plan, and a viral idea. And watch what happens. You watch how fast it happens. It'll happen in inside of three days. The revolution will begin. Not three days from now, but when when those three things occur, <laughs> when they line up and they they finally come into being and they exist, you watch how fast it happens. It'll happen in a heartbeat, and the world will change. And I know that will happen because it happens all the time. We just haven't had it happen here in what two hundred years? A little bit more than that. Yeah, a little bit over that. So I know it can, and I know it will. <laughs> Because all things like you can't push it that far over and expect the wagon <laughs> to stay on its wheels. It ain't going to happen. So I know it will happen. I just don't know if we're going to be alive to see it. Um, that's it's just a matter of timing as far as I'm concerned. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> you always end on doom and gloom for me. It sucks. <laughs> well, I always give you the opportunity to come up with hope. I mean, I flat out asked you where the hope was. I think it's there. I think we have it. I just think that it's going to be super scary in the meantime. Well, hopefully it won't be that scary. Hopefully I'm wrong. I think our children will see it. 
I think our children will bring down the corrupt of the government, the, the corruptness of the system as it stands now. I think our children, our spawn <laughs> will do that. Uh, that's if the aliens don't do it first. Oh, man. You know, like the aliens, they. <laughs> I got several messages from people who are are highly placed in other areas and everything, going, "There's no aliens." <laughs> I would know. There's none. Like, that's exactly what somebody who would who's seen the aliens would say. Uh, yeah, uh, I where I grew up. Actually, I'll, the way I put it this way is where my father lives is where all of the people who are in the CIA and the federal government and all of that for the in the 70s 80s and even early 90s all went to retire <laughs> and when you get groups of those people together and it's even to the point where it's kind of like you were who no wait a minute open the book you're in the pictures in the center of the book Holy shit. And when that person looks at you and says, you have no concept what's going on, whatever your wildest imagination is with these things that you're talking about with regards to the things that we jokingly think of as conspiracy theory, the truth of the matter is so far beyond anything that you can just conceptually imagine it would it would just change your entire perspective on the world. Oh, that's that's a hopeful. See now, see there, that's more doom and gloom than I had. Thank you. <laughs> it's 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 one of those ones that's really interesting. When every once in a while you, you'll you'll say something that you think is just a wild ass conspiracy, just dumb shit, and whether it is that you're so far from the truth in the opposite direction, or the fact that you hit it right on the nose on the nose, you'll get that goofy grin from somebody, and they'll just kind of look at you and shrug and turn around and walk the other direction. It's kind of like, fuck. <laughs> I need to build a bunker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, but uh, once again, as I try to wrap this up on that note, uh, look, we, we were talking about language and conversation and the way that people communicate with each other. And part of this idea is to open up dialogue, to throw ideas out there into the world and see what comes back. Not to say that we personally are going to be able to change the world, but we'd love to have conversations. So email address for us is take a number at gentlemen's soapbox.com. Uh, please comment, please question if you have ideas and topics that you'd like us to, that you'd love to hear the opinions of two rambling old farts. Um, please feel free to send it in. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Yepix, uh, I do have your list of topics. I think we're going to tackle one next week. Um, other than that, enjoy your evening. Have a wonderful day. again that America's leading industry is still the manufacture, distribution, packaging, and marketing of bullshit.
high-quality bullshit, world-class designer bullshit, to be sure. Hospital-tested, clinically proven bullshit, but bullshit nonetheless. Hola, mi amigo. ¿Cómo está usted? You're going to get us called racist. Uh, uh, you know, probably. It's just, it, you know, I. that's just the way that uh, people don't like Texans love to think they're bilingual, even though <laughs> they're exceedingly not poor favor. You know, like it's it's a horrible accent, but they know enough to sound stupid. And I think people show their ignorance when they say they want politicians to be honest. What are these people talking about? If honesty were suddenly introduced into politics, it would throw everything off. The whole system would collapse. And I think deep down the American people know that. The American people like their bullshit out front, where they can get a good strong whiff of it. That's why they reelected Clinton. That's bad. What, what I generally try to do is see if I can spend the first part of it winding you up enough to then just hand you the soapbox and see. If oh, it yeah, it worked today. I was <laughs> like you. I, and I noticed I, I you know, I didn't notice it in some of the other cast, but this one I noticed it. I'm like, he's winding me up. He knows that's going to piss me off. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you have the media, not just the news media. Let's include them all. The media are almost literally exploding with bullshit because they're located right at the crossroads of all the other bullshit. The media are made up of equal parts, advertising, politics, business, public relations, and show business. These people are sitting right at bullshit junction. There's enough bullshit in the media for Texas to open a branch office. And you still have enough left over to start two law firms and a Christian bookstore.